Good evening, everyone. Welcome. Question tonight? Yes. Um, I have a question regarding what is mental speculation as different from philosophical speculation? And when or if either is useful in anything? Right, so that's a term that uh, mental speculation, that's a term that my Guru Maharaj coined, if you will, and it's, I think it's one that's uh, misunderstood by a lot of his students as well. It's not a uh, proscription against thinking, uh, as, <laughs> as some seem to think. <laughs> Actually, um, properly understood, spiritual life will tax our thinking, our capacity to discriminate, um, considerably, um, as it should be, uh, if we are to give ourselves to the Godhead, it should be physically, mentally, and intellectually as well. Hmm? And um, so there's a role, if you will, for, for thinking. And um, it's interesting because we do think uh, often and reason uh, before embarking upon a particular spiritual path, taking a leap, the proverbial leap, if you will, as it's sometimes called, uh, beyond where the uh, faculty of discrimination unto itself will take us, but where it may lead us to, if it's properly uh, exercised, at least to the need for such a leap. Then, however well we are informed, if you will, uh, uh, that will have something to do with determining whether we leap in the right uh, in the right direction or not. Um, but um, of course, if we don't, we can get up and try again. No harm, but in one sense. But um, that said, uh, the point I'm making is that we use our uh, thinking power, our, our intelligence, our faculty of discrimination to to uh, join a path. Of course, it itself is influenced by our psychology, which is influenced by our past, and so on and so forth. But um, nonetheless, it's, it is exercised. And then, uh, oddly enough, as it would have it, uh, often when, when a person uh, takes up a spiritual path, then uh, uh, their, their thinking tends to... T- tends to turn off, if you will, and they ask or expect uh, somebody to think for them. Because hmm? it's troublesome <laughs> to think and figure things out. So we meet the guru who knows everything, as it's uh, sometimes said, and so what's the use of me thinking? What, what, what will I come up with? Um, he or she knows everything, so um, I'll just do, uh, do as I'm told and, and so forth. Um, and there's a place for the culture of, of uh, submission, servitude, and so on and so forth. And um, at the same time, the, uh, the Gita is very clear in, um, in this regard, um, because along with the pranipat um, um, comes pariprasnena. Hmm? Pranipat means like to offer respects, uh, to uh, 
in well it would be done or is done in, in Hindu culture the bowing of the head it's very nice uh, practice contrasted it's often thought in the western world that to get ahead you have to step on people's heads and in the spiritual life from the Hindu perspective you have to have your head stepped on by the right people something like that or the idea is to get the dust of the feet of saintly people which uh, which uh, but speak of the rest of them must be good. The, this, this, this is the idea. It's a beautiful idea. Um, um, but um, when we submit, the Gita says, tadvidhi pranipatena. One should uh, submissively approach uh, the guru. Tadvidhi, uh, oh, one who knows. Tadvidhi. Pranipatena pariprasnena sevaya upadakshantite jnanam jnaninas tattvarashina. Because, of course, the one who is seen here is described as tattvadarshina. He has, he or she knows the truth, the tattva. That person should be approached in a particular way, not in a challenging way, but with a view to inquire and uh, submissively and acquire, if you will, the, the, the secrets that he or she may hold, hmm? the truth that they have they have seen. Or darshan also is a, it's a very nice word. Um, we often say, have you had darshan? It means, to, have you come to the temple and, and stood before the deities? And it's often thought, have you come and seen the deities? But more properly understood is, have you had darshan? Have you been seen by the deities? Have you come before the deity to be seen? Hmm? Because the other, the way we ordinarily move is things or objects of our vision and are revolving around us, so to speak. So it's a, it's a bit of a reversal. Have you been seen today? <laughs> Rather than what have you seen today? Have you been seen? By whom's one whose eyes are are everywhere, hmm? something like that. Um, have you acknowledged that you've been you're being you're being watched, <laughs> if you will, in a friendly way? Om Tad Vishnu Paramam Param Sada Pashanti Suraya Devi Vachakshuratatam Tad Vipiso. The nice verse from the Rig Veda. Hmm? His eyes are above everywhere, watching. Hmm? So. To come before one who has seen, who, who who has been seen, and understands that uh, principle, and thus sees differently, hmm? such a person should be approached, tatvidarshina, tatvidhi pranipatena pariprasnena seva upadakshantite jnanam jnaninas tatvidarshina. So this person should be approached and should be inquired from. So pranipat and pariprasnena. Pariprasnena means to, to place relevant questions. So, in some circles, it's presented something like this. Sit before the guru and have no doubts. But the Gita says, come before the guru and doubt. It's a, it's a, it's a very different idea than than what is sometimes misunderstood, which turns into a non-thinking, uh, if you will, kind of sect um, that, uh, that 
wants someone else to do the thinking for them who thinks that they can do that, and it usually doesn't work out very well, um, such as uh, not only the experiment of the West uh, with uh, the guru phenomenon, unfortunately, often, but it happens in India as well, as for centuries. So, um, so this is, a, one, in one sense, a, a way to avoid that. This should be taught. Come and sit and doubt. That means you have questions. You ask them. You you you, you voice them, um, and with a, with a desire to know. Um, and of course, the guru is a kind of uh, classically a father figure, if you will. And the scripture, kind of classically, is a mother figure, Veda Mata, that's sometimes called, the Vedas, like the, the mother. So these two, they don't, there's no divorce here. They go together. So you have a guru who kind of makes it up as he goes along. Um, and and then there, there's, there's one who actually presents the scriptural argument, which is, to use another example, you have the guide and you have the map. And the guide knows the map. Hmm? And so the guide shows us, here you are on the map, here's where you want to go on the map, here are the things ahead that you should expect, and so on and so forth. Hmm? This uh, Eastern revelation, the Upanishads, the Purana, the Gita, which is also sometimes referred to as an Upanishad, Gita Upanishad, because Upanishads are thought to be shruti, but be spoken like sounds that have no human origin, that are that are heard by the sages hmm? and then uttered and according to the utterance by the particular sage who has a name, the Upanishad is named. Hmm? So the Gita is directly spoken by Krishna, so has no human origin is the idea. So sometimes it's referred to as Gita Upanishad. Hmm? It's a very Upanishadic uh, type of, of texts in, 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 in many respects. Hmm? Of course, it's, uh, it has a very, very prominent emphasis on bhakti um, as well, which is not unfound in the Upanishads, but the Upanishads tend to speak mm, at first more generally about an idea that's very deep to get a, a grip on it. For example, if you live in a cave your whole life and someone tries to tell you about the sun, how will you understand it? Two fellows living in the cave. One goes out and sees the sun and comes back to tell the other inside. What can the other person inside understand about the sun? It's not just a big light. It's all the vegetation, for example, that doesn't grow. The flowers, the fauna, the fruits, the nuts, the vegetables that don't grow in the cave, right? that it, 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 the implications of the sun are um, extraordinary, considerable. Hmm? How will I explain that to the, my friend in the cave? What to do? So just even the idea of light is, is how can you relate to that if you lived in the dark forever? The opposite of it. So 
to make a little crack in the wall of the cave where a ray of the sun will come through and say, this is the sun, this is the sun. Huh, whoa, that's different. Hmm? How different? Absolutely different. Hmm? So the Upanishads, they talk often like this without talking about all the implications of the sun, they want to say, the sun is light. They want to say, for example, is there anything in this world, if there is anything in this world, let's say, that most represents or resembles God, what would it be? And so the Upanishads give the answer, yourself, yourself. Consciousness, it's experiential rather than non-experiential, like matter. It's like the difference between darkness and light. Hmm? You are of that nature. God is of that nature. So there's a tendency in the Upanishads, in in an introductory kind of way of speaking about the subject, hmm? that if we don't follow further with the supplementary texts that seek to play them out, like the Gita, the, the Puranas, and so forth, in the narrative form, um, to get this kind of thinking that I'm God in an absolute sense, we're all God. Hmm? But if we were all God, then how would we be in darkness <laughs> at any time? This is this is the question. So God-like, hmm? God-like, but... Sparks are like the fire, but you can't cook and heat yourself in the cold with a spark. And spark may be subject to the obscuring influence of smoke, whereas the fire cannot. Smoke is the maya. Jiva maya. Guna maya, jiva maya. The composition of matter and its influence, if you will. Gunamaya, the gunas, and Jivamaya, uh, the bewildering influence of that, the smoke effect. So to come out from that, the spark, and come into the uh, into the heat and light of the, of, of, of the fire, hmm? doesn't make one the fire. Hmm? And if one was, then again, how could one be in darkness? So, a beginning kind of... That's, in one sense, the beauty of the Gita, because the Gita also presents this picture, but develops it further. It develops it further. What is the sun? What is the spark? With its emphasis on on bhakti, which calls for a union between the spark and the fire, if you will, that uh, doesn't cancel out either one. Pulsating union and reciprocal dealings, if you will, that love constitutes with the absolute. It's a very beautiful idea. So, um, to get a teacher hmm, to teach about all this, this is a good idea. The Gita recommends Tadvidhi Pranipatena Pariprashnena Sevaya. Hmm. You should approach the teacher who has who's a Tatpadarshina and inquire, place your doubts before such a person. Again, oftentimes people want to join a spiritual path 
and have someone think for them. Um, they can do that a little bit, but they, the proper teaching is they're going to teach you, the teacher's going to teach you to think, to think uh, spiritually rather than materially. Hmm? And so the teacher is going to teach, and the teacher's going to teach from the book. <laughs> right? So there, typically there's a teacher and there's a book. Hmm? So there's this Shastra, the scriptures. Let's use the Gita. We're, we're citing from the Gita, the Gita, Bhagavad Gita, and and the teacher that the Gita is, it, herself, if you will, uh, recommends, points us to. Hmm? And these two are the, the guru and the and 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 the and the, uh, the scripture. They're they're in a relationship that's that's uh, a committed relationship. Hmm? Okay, so they don't they don't differ. Hmm? Of course, what the, the guru, the, the scripture is a passive agent of divinity. The guru is an active agent of divinity. In other words, we can read the book, but the book cannot ask us, so did you understand? And if and we can't say yes, and then the, guru, the, the book can't say, let, let me hear. <laughs> so she's a passive agent, and the guru is an active agent. He can say, so you understood? Yes. What did you understand? Let me hear, like this, and help us in this way. Hmm? Um, so, but if we just make it up as we go along, hmm? that's why in any discussion, you, you, philosophical discussion, it's, you, you sometimes have to ask people, could you write that down? <laughs> because it's like you said this over here, and you contradicted yourself here, and it would be good if you could write it all out. Write a book, why don't you? If you have a, and then we can see if, you, if your argument is consistent. Hmm? So the scripture gives a consistent um, argument, although it speaks in different ways at different times, for different uh, in different circumstances, and so forth. A guru should have sh- uh, uh, comprehensive understanding of the sacred texts hmm, and be able to represent them hmm, in a dynamic way. That means to say. Um, If you have the map and you're showing somebody, but to you, I present it to you, it's a map, but to me, it's a drawing of something that I've experienced, the guide. So I can say, and on the map you see here, and by the way, also, this, 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 and this, and this, and it brings the map to life, if you will, because he's been there. Hmm? And on the map it says here, and there'll be a coconut tree, you know, at this place, and you turn left. And it's a big coconut tree, actually, and the coconuts are green. And and at this time of year, if you go there, there won't be any there because it, it blossoms in, in another time and so forth. So this is, so the guru can develop, if you will, hmm? uh, cast light. If you have a flower, let's say the lotus, and you put sun on it, and it will open and open, and you see more and more and more and more. So this is the touch, if you will, of the guru on the flower of the scripture to open it. Hmm? And of course, as a jewel, to use another example, it's many-faceted, so he can show from different sides hmm? how it can speak to one tradition or another tradition, and, and so on and so forth. And um, So the guide is, is in the in the 
tradition of Vedanta indispensable, and and he carries, she carries a book, hmm? and um, so this is kind of a check and a balance, if if you will. That as I say, it uh, helps us. We can read the book, know to f- know from it the Gita. For- example to find a guide. I remember when I first read the Gita, I thought, well, i got to find a guide hmm? who can, uh, who can uh, because the book seems to be saying that. Hmm? <laughs> uh, so, so uh, and it says in this, in answer to your question, come, sit, and really doubt, ask questions. I've seen and heard in some circles it's you ask a question and uh, you get an answer like uh, don't speculate. (laughs) Which is what you're asking about. Don't speculate. Because he doesn't know the answer so he just says don't don't, don't ask such questions. Hmm? Um, Now it's the business of the guru to really clear the doubts. Now when we say to clear the doubts at the same time I've emphasized the scripture for a reason because scripture represents a body of text that um, is giving an argument from Revelation about uh, the uh, idea that there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind, and it's it's you to begin with, um, and how to go about experiencing that, which is quite a different way of moving than we have been for for eons, through different lifetimes and different species and so on and so forth. Um, so, so the, anyway, the book, 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 book. Um, uh, important and um, And as I say, the guide opens it, unfolds it, bring, also makes it, presents it in a way that's relative to time and circumstance, that it might be understood with examples and analogies from our everyday life, and so on and so forth. Um, so anyway, these two uh, go together, and 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 there is a place, a very big place for inquiring, sitting, doubting. I say doubting. Place your doubts. But the book, again, is kind of a standard of knowledge. Let's use an example. If I go to court and I'm a lawyer and I want to make a case for the guilt of um, the person I'm prosecuting, I can say, Your Honor, I think and I feel and I really hope that he's guilty. I rest my, <laughs> I rest my case. If the defending attorney says, well, Your Honor, according to the law, at this date, it was determined this, and at that date, it was determined this, and another date, the law said this. Therefore, you put these together in this way, and I think the law in this particular instance should be this, not guilty. Obviously, the defending attorney is going to win the case. So there's a standard of knowledge. When we say there's a standard of knowledge using this example of the law books, at first it sounds like, okay, the law books are all there, we just go and read it, we know the law in every instance, but it doesn't work like that, right? It's a growing 
ongoing affair. There's a body of knowledge, and from that body of knowledge, more knowledge comes hmm, in any given circumstance. Hmm. It has to be explained. Hmm. But in order to clear the doubts of the student, the student has to have some understanding of what is the subject matter and and the fact that it will be understood from a text that ultimately speaks about things that are its exclusive subject. In other words, the sacred texts speak about things that you can't know otherwise. And that kind of knowledge that they speak about is so extraordinary that it makes other knowledge look like it's not worth knowing or ignorance. So when we say the guru knows everything, it means he or she knows the kind, is acquainted with the kind of knowledge that the sacred text is dealing with that makes other knowledge look uh, relative in comparison. Now we may have a need for relative knowledge hmm? to some extent, even to proceed on the path. In other words, the guru is not a surgeon, not a psychiatrist, hmm? a psychologist. He knows yoga psychology. Hmm? Hmm? Uh, he knows the science or the methodology, the method to the madness of uh, of, of, of spiritual life. Hmm? But you may you you, you may need. Um, medication. He may say, go to the doctor for that. Hmm? Of course, as you grow spiritually and so on and so forth, then that's another thing. You can live on the, on the, on the higher knowledge once you've been able to digest it. Hmm? But we cannot digest it all at once. We only have so much appetite for it. Hmm? If the appetite is really big and really, and it just, uh, really knowing, then we can digest more. But our karma is not allowing us to have as intense of an appetite as we might like. We have some appetite, some taste, so therefore we're here. So the idea is to grow the appetite gradually. Then we can live on that knowledge. But before we can actually live on that knowledge, we also have one foot in this world and one foot here. So we have to take advantage of some relative knowledge. Hmm? But don't expect Gurudev to, you know, answer every question about, um, should I marry this one or that one? Or should I have one kid or two? Or, or These are not the kind of questions that, uh, that um, we should sit before the Guru and ask and expect an answer that will clear our doubts. He could say, well, it sounds good, but it might not work out. Hmm? I often give knowledge. I mean, I'm a person of the world. I have some worldly wisdom and experience and so forth. So people ask me quite relative questions. I say, well, I would think you could try it like this. But it might not work. Just qualify. Now, if you want to ask me about what the Gita says, that's another thing. Then I could say, no, it doesn't say that. It says this. No, it doesn't say that. This is what it says. This is why it says it. This is what it means. This is why it means what it means because of this verse, because of that chapter, and, and this is where it's drawn from. 
and this is how it's been explained in our tradition, and so on and so forth. Hmm? So, um, so the guru has all knowledge, but again, hmm, what does that all knowledge mean? It means that it has a different, he, he or she is acquainted with a different category of knowledge altogether that makes worldly knowledge, um, that enables one to see worldly knowledge for what it is, something relative, hmm? vidya, avidya. It's at best sattva. Hmm? And the knowledge of the sacred text, the revelation is suda sattva, beyond the sattva guna, from the nirguna, Beyond the, uh, the the influence of of, of the illusory uh, shakti maya, hmm? so therefore, when we sit before the guru in doubt and ask questions, and the guru answers, now you've come. This is a particular tradition. Maybe you're not acquainted with the tradition, so you've come to ask. So he explains, this is my sadhana, my practice, and this is my goal. Okay? This is the the goal we we're after here. And this is the practice, these two things. We should ask, what is your goal, what is your practice? He or she should be able to answer very clearly. There are different paths to transcendence, the four different degrees of penetration into it. Each one will think theirs is the best, and they should. Hmm? And they should be able to argue for it, because why not? <laughs> Otherwise they would be going about it a different way. Hmm? So... So, okay, I acquaint you with the teaching, so you're interested. Now we have a framework. This is what we're teaching here. This is the goal within transcendence, and this is the path. And someone says, I like that, I like that. I think I like that. I'm interested in that. So, okay, sit, listen. Hmm? And as we, then you, you bring up doubts and questions, and then he answers from the t- sacred text. Hmm? He says, this, according to this, 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 said here and there, and... This is the implication of it in this time, in this circumstance. This is why, and so and he's able to clear the doubt. The point is that there's a, again there's a standard of knowledge from which he or she is drawing that we, from the very beginning, should have faith in because we are having the coming to the conclusion that on the strength of my intellect alone, I cannot acquire the kind of knowledge that will be fully satisfying. That will leave me with a feeling like there's nothing more that needs to be known. Hmm? On the strength of my intellect alone, I cannot arrive at that. Therefore, let me go to a different school where they're teaching that. Hmm? Right? I have faith, in other words, that there's a way of knowing that exceeds and transcends the ability of my mind and intellect to know. So, when I get answers from that school, hmm, they're going to come from the sacred text and the reasoning about the implications of the sacred text, which requires some taste for the whole thing, some experience for the whole thing, hmm, to be able to answer and reason about its implications and clear the doubts. So, But if I say to you, if you say, well, I was wondering this, and I answer the question, I say... It's explained like this, and this is why, and this, and so forth, and so. And then you say, "Okay, good." Then you go to bed, and the next night you come, morning you come and you ask the same question in kind of a different way. You know, I already answered that question, but but this, but that. 
the requisite faith in the scriptural argument is lacking if the scriptural argument cannot clear the doubt. Because that's the premise from the beginning. This is how we're going to clear the doubt. Because what you want to know is what Revelation says. Do you understand? That's what faith in the spiritual schools of Vedanta means. I want to know what what I cannot know with my intellect. So what does the Revelation say? And what happens is when I have that kind of faith, and when the answer comes, presented in the dynamic way by the teacher, as he should be able to do, from Revelation, I go, okay, and now I've got the answer. And now I've got to change accordingly and give up that I, what I thought. And so there, we're, what we're do, doing here is building a ground of tattva hmm, that we can grow a spiritual life out of. Now we're grounded in a different conception of life altogether. We may flirt with the spiritual idea and so forth, but to get grounded in it, <coughs> and that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the vantage point from which you start to view everything and so forth. Hmm? This, is, this, is, this is the basic idea of hearing from the guru who's going to represent the, the sacred texts and so forth. Hmm? So we call it tattva, tattva darshana. So he's a, he's a, he's a tattva that he, he knows hmm? the tattva, the ground. Bhava, ecstasy, is the feeling that arises out of the philosophy, the tattva. Hmm? You won't get bhava if, if you're not grounded in tattva. Hmm? You'll be standing on something, on something else. If you want to get bhava, ecstasy, it's going to come out of the ground, the, 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 the philosophical ground that, it, that, it, that underlies it. Ecstasy is not a drug, right? It's not just a feeling from the monkey part of your brain, the emotional part of your brain. Hmm? No. Hmm. It's otherworldly. Hmm? That means there's a there there there's a world of we live in a world of doubt, so there's a world of faith, planets of faith, and the ground there hmm, is this uh, uh, what's what's what 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 what's coming from Revelation. So, it's important to 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 begin with to understand what what are the basic premises in the circle of spiritual uh, discussion in in, in Vedanta. Hmm? different schools of Vedanta. Otherwise, I'm not going to get an answer that's going to clear my doubt. And I shouldn't probably have been there anyway. Hmm. In other words, one has to be a little bit materially exhausted and reach the conclusion that uh, this, I'm, not, I'm not figuring this thing out with what you know goes, goes, whatever goes on between my ears. It's not big enough for me to resolve the whole issue here. Hmm. I need something from beyond the limits of my own power. And in the connection with that, I should use all of my power. You understand? Intellectual power as well. So there's a place for questioning. And, and thinking, if you will. 
And, of course, as the doubts are cleared, you start to learn how to think spiritually. And then, eventually, you can read the texts, for example, hear the texts, and they can speak to you more loudly than previously. You can understand their implications. And you can, you, you can start to reason about the implications of them and land on your feet. Or there's, there's people that try to reason about the implications and they really don't do a good job because they don't have experience of it. Taste for it. Therefore, Rupa Goswami says, you need a ruchi, taste for the subject matter, hmm? where, the, where the medicine has become like food, you're living on it. Hmm? It, to, to be able to reason about it in a way that that is um, that constitutes uh, spiritual reasoning. So there is shastra yukti and kebal yukti. Yukti means reasoning. Shastra yukti means to reason about the argument coming from revelation. It's the, theology in one sense. Western society at some point unhinged philosophy from revelation, from the, from the Western revelation of, of Christianity. They unhinged it. Hmm? And so uh, it's just philosophy, just it's a free-for-all. Free you know, think, just whatever the, whatever the mind can think, whatever the intelligence can come up with. You know, it's a, it's, that's what you're, what you're going on. Um, but uh, we call it cable yukti. But we've already said earlier, Intelligence unto itself is not capable of. Um, it's not a proper vehicle, suitable vehicle to arrive at the kind of knowledge that the revelation is talking. About. That's why you have to understand the principle of revelation. Otherwise, it just sounds. Like, I'm going to listen to some book, uh, you know, old stories, you know, from the desert in Jerusalem or something, or or in, in India, you know. Huh. You have to understand the principle behind it. As I said the other night. For perfect knowing, you need a perfect way. And our intellect is not a perfect way of knowing. I mean, th- that should be obvious. Hmm? We might say, well, who says there is a perfect way of knowing? We know as best we can with what we have. It's our intellect. Hmm? So whoever said there was perfect knowledge? Someone can argue like that. But the fact of the matter is that everyone is seeking the perfect knowledge. Hmm? And in, in any particular field, I mean, every philosopher kind of thinks, I got it. There, of course, their peers all go, ah. Especially in, 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 with regard to philosophy about consciousness these days. <laughs> Every theory that's up somebody, I've got it. I know what consciousness is. Hmm? When Daniel Dennett, philosopher, came up with his book, Consciousness Understood, what Consciousness Explained, he was going around giving seminars and stuff like that, his peers all said, Consciousness Unexplained should be the title of your book. <laughs> So you might have been able to get a few students on board, but his peers up there. Mm-hmm. So the, the point is that really it's kind of a bluff to say there's no perfect knowledge. Everyone is looking for perfect knowledge in that everyone is looking for perfect happiness. 
And happiness is is that which experience is derived from an action that has to be informed by some kind of knowledge. So we want perfect knowledge to be to be informed in such a way that we can act in such a way that we can become perfectly happy. I mean that's the whole of animation is 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 moving towards perfection. We live for perfection. Perfection is what we worship. Hmm? You know, the, the, in the Olympics, one person goes one ten thousandth of a second faster than anybody else, and it's in the newspapers. He's transcended. You know, he, he's he's gone beyond the human imperfections, right? And that whoosh, swoosh, it doesn't even hit the rim. Ah, ah, it's perfect, right? It's 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 be, it, we are constantly. This is what we're driven by in human society. These little incremental increases that take us beyond our limitations. The implication of which is we are all striving for imperfection. The with the implication of which is we are all imperfect. Hmm? That should that should be a very loudly you know. <laughs> Uh, shouted, we're all imperfect. Hmm? Which to me says, I need help. No, that's not the Western way, an individual. You know? uh, so, uh, so, so, yeah. <laughs> I, I see new people say, why should I read the commentary? <laughs> this is an example of what I, I just want to read the translation. Why should I read the comp? Why should somebody else tell me what it means? Okay, you try it. <laughs> but so it's 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 a that idea hmm, goes against what we're actually experiencing, what the world is actually saying to us. Outside of any book, we're looking for perfection, and we're imperfect. And perfection will not arise out of imperfection. That's just the simple math of it all. Therefore, the need for something beyond imperfection, out of its perfectness, to share itself with us. It's perfect and perfectly, perfect in all respects. So perfectly loving. Perfect knowing means perfect loving. It's compassionate. It's, that, this is the idea of revelation. It shows up in this book, that book, maybe not that book, but... Uh, <laughs> We have to look at it and see, is it ego-effacing, and so forth. Uh, so, so, this is the principle. We, we, we need help from beyond our limited uh, resources to attain the very thing that we're constantly looking for, celebrating, trying to attain, hmm? driven, driven by. Hmm? So we do want perfect knowledge, some people say it doesn't exist, but they look for it anyway. Some people say it does exist, and they look for it. So who's crazy? Those who say that it exists, or those who say that it doesn't exist, but look for it implicitly. Hmm? Who's had a clearer idea? Hmm? And here's a theory, okay, that there is something called revelation. It's embodied in these sacred texts. It comes through meditation. And then it's written down, made available. Samadhi namus tam 
Vyasa was told by Nard, sit in samadhi, then then from there write something. That is the Bhagavatam, the, the theological sequel to the Gita. Samadhi Bhasha, it said. It's written in Sanskrit, but we say the language is Bhasha, the language is Samadhi, Samadhi Bhasha. It comes out of that. You don't have to believe it, but it's an interesting idea, and without it, well, you're left with trying to develop perfection out of imperfection, which is, I would say, a logical impossibility. So why not try it? <laughs> would be the idea. And then there are persons that will embody it, that teach it. If they actually do, they're attractive. They're compelling and they're kind and they ask you to think. They don't let you off the hook and say, I'm going to think for you. You do nothing. Don't think. And then you don't think and they tell you to do something that's not in the book. Hmm. Not good. Right? Hmm. So they, they teach you how to think, how to inquire. Hmm. And so, uh, and they reason about the implications of the scripture. So the Shastra Yukti, reasoning about the implications of the text and presenting them in a dynamic way, in a comprehensive way, to clear doubts and, and, and give inspiration to, to take to the path in the context of doing that, teach how to think. That's called Shastra Yukti. And what mental speculation is just, again, unhinging your reasoning capacity from the principle of revelation and just trying to figure it out on your own, so to speak. Hmm? That is what my grammar is called mental speculation. And philosophical conjecture, on the other hand, is, well... Based on the argument, I conjecture this is what it's saying, this is the implications of it, and so forth. And, and there's, a, there's a whole art to that. Like you take the sutras of Vedanta, and there, there's a whole system to arrive at what's called Siddhanta, the conclusion. So you, 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 a doubt is raised, some shy, right? and then it's followed by uh, a strengthening of the doubt, Purvapakshan. I think like this, and this is why I think like this. And then um, you know, the, the response comes, yes or no. That's not because of this. And this is the context because because Upanishad says this, and this is the context, and that's the implication of it. And therefore, so the doubt is cleared. So there's a whole way to arrive at uh, at Siddhanta, if you want. It's not just I read the book and it said this and this 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 verse right here, and therefore. But what is it? What What's the verse before? What's the verse after? What's the implication? What chapter is it? What, you know, you've got stories in the in the Bhagavatam with people like demons, like Hiranyakasipu speaking. You could quote them and say, Hiranyakasipu said the Bhagavatam says this. But yeah, what was he saying? What, what was the what was the context? That's not what we're, what we're supposed to do. But it gets pretty lame sometimes. People do that. They quote that, and they don't know what they're so. Therefore, um, it said, "What samadpani shrotriyam shrotriyam bhamanishtam shrotriyam." What is that verse? Shabde parechanishnatam brahmanayupa shamasrayam. 
शब्दे परे चुनिष्णातम निष्णातम गुरु शुद नो द सेक्रेट टेक्स्ट शब्दे द साउंड द रेवलेशन कंप्रेहेंसिवली निष्णातम and that also in relation to other currents of philosophical thought in the world at the time hmm? so that he or she can um settle the the, the doubts so that the disciple can sit hmm? does that help so there's a so in in so so yeah and and this is for thinking people here even as we say thinking is you know is is a problem as well hmm? so to arrest the mind spiritually that is in our just that it might think spiritually after all that's the gita says atman what is that verse udaratman atmanam atmanam babasadet atmai vatmano bandur atmai vipur atmana bandur vipur the mind is the friend and the enemy so what makes it the friend what makes it the enemy there's a way to make the mind a friend hmm? to spiritualize it hmm? there's a, there's an art for that there's a training for that this is to to, to learn learn the learn the scriptural argument if you will hmm? which is which will fortify us in our practice to actually arrest the mind hmm? and so that we can actually enter into a plane of knowing samadhi whereas unmediated knowing it's not knowing that's mediated by the senses and therefore imperfect or by the mind and therefore imperfect it's direct contact in one sense with what you are you are a unit of knowledge chit it's an aspect of consciousness so then you know what what does that mean you are a unit of knowledge what does that mean does it mean because we think of knowledge in a certain way right knowledge means i know this i know that this means this this means that we're saying you are knowledge well, what's that what's that huh you are knowledge no i can have knowledge no you are knowledge you are luminous hmm and of yourself as in, in knowledge illuminates right as it gives it to give it put in a graphic context it, it illuminates it's compared to light hmm you are light you live in darkness but you are light hmm you take a light and put a box over it the light's still there we're on this side we can't see it hmm so there's a box over our heads so we can't see but we are we are knowledge so you can understand from what i'm saying when we say you are knowledge this is a very different idea of knowledge than what we have of knowledge now knowledge that we know know about plants we have the knowledge of this we have the knowledge of that hmm. you are knowledge a very different idea but you can't you can't think about it when we can explain it to some extent but only to the extent that it inspires us to take the practices by which we can have the unmediated unmediated experience of being a unit of of 
of knowing. Free from all doubts, however much knowledge we may collect in this world, we can have a doubt about the simplest thing, <laughs> nonetheless. Hmm? I mean, can you imagine how much knowledge you would have to acquire to have no doubts? <laughs> right? Now, having no doubts doesn't mean you know how to make an airplane or this or that. Yeah, right? So this is a different... When you say, he has all knowledge, hmm? has no doubts, no doubt. Hmm? And therefore, when there's no doubt, one can proceed without caution, without interruption, without hesitation. Hmm? That means you can love, because love is to proceed without hesitation. Now we filter the knowledge that we receive, even spiritually speaking, through our intellect. We reason about it. We want to see if we... We should do that to some extent, but then <coughs> gradually the mind, their intellect will be arrested by a good teacher and then the feeling, the experience that's being conveyed through the vehicle of a logical arrangement of words will go into the heart. Hmm. Change the heart or to some capacity for knowing hmm, what it means to know. Comparatively, knowing in this world is, is considered darkness, ignorance. Hmm. You want to know, but you are knowledge. You want to be, but you are your sat. You want to maintain yourself, but you are maintained. You are your unit of self-maintenance, your sat, your chit. You want to know, but you are knowledge. You want to love, but you are a unit of loving capacity. Hmm. There you go. Confirmed. So you understand philosophical uh, conjecture and, well, to use prophets or mental speculation. So to reason about what the implications of the sacred texts are. To kind of live in that world of understanding. So if I have a, let's have a philosophical question, there's a way to answer it. And then if you, if you, if you understand, and then, you, then you know, okay, we've got the answer here. If you haven't figured that out and you're speculating mentally, then you can't understand a good argument even when it comes, the proper argument. Give the siddhanta. You see people like that sometimes on the internets where they live. <laughs> All right. Well, what's the time? 7.30. We'll stop there. Sri Siddhaji Gopal Ki Jai. Guru